Just a little word of exhortation for both of you this morning and for those of us here present that perhaps the Lord could give you certain instructions from that which you are about to say. Amen. First of all, I want you to understand what you are into or what you have engaged in. There are a lot of definitions given to marriage. We have it as a covenant, marriage covenant. And uh, I am, I'm beginning to have some little issue with that. Are you paying attention? I'm talking to both of you in particular. When you talk about a covenant, it means you are talking of two persons coming to sign an agreement. And to me, if you enter an agreement or a contract, to be definite now, if you enter a contract, sometimes one of these two parties could fail on the part of the contract terms. And that can bring in trouble. So I'm beginning to feel, to me, marriage is not a contract. And again, we have another simple definition that marriage is an institution. I think I would rather go a little bit closer with that. Is this an establishment by God himself? And he has a reason for it. Hallelujah. Are you there? God institute marriage. So it's not just a contract. It's, it's a life that God has ordained that we walk in, that we live in, and he has a reason. Now, let me first begin to say this. Sometimes we also miss, uh, we have this misconception that you have to get married so that you don't get lonely. But I want to say that is not true. Because if you enter into marriage without one or two things I'm going to say now, you can still be lonely. So marriage is not a solution to loneliness. Are you there with me? Because there's a lot of misconception about this institution. And so people say, well, I don't want to be alone. I want to get married. You can be married and still be lonely. Is that okay? All right. So I want you to know that because it's very important. Sometimes people often say, I said, I want to get married so that I can be happy. Well, you can be married and still be very unhappy. Now let me show you a scripture on that. First Corinthians 7. If you look at verse 39, the Bible says, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. Verse 48. But she is happier if she abides by implication. If she chooses not to marry again, she is happier. That means marriage doesn't make you happy. Did you see that there? The Bible is saying if a woman gets married, and perhaps the husband died, that she's even happier if she's not engaged again. The question is, why will the person who is not married be happier? So I am submitting that marriage does not give you happiness. Except you follow the rules. You can become more confused, more frustrated if you marry. If you don't follow the rules. 
Why is this so? Now we have to go back to the altar of marriage. If a man manufactures anything, he also provides a solution for the remedy of that thing if it's going wrong. That is why if a man makes or manufactures a vehicle, there is a manual that goes with the vehicle. So that if there is any fault, you consult the manual. Are you paying attention to what I'm saying this morning? And that is it. So if marriage is instituted by God, the first thing you need to do, if you have to be married, if you have to be out of loneliness, because I'm going to show you the basic reason I feel God instituted marriage, is to go back to the author of marriage. By implication, from today, you are actually three in this business. You can draw a triangle. At the top is God. On the left hand side is the, is the woman. On the right hand side is the man. So you have God, the woman, and the man. These three of you are supposed to both go together. If you, the woman, has a problem, or the man has a problem, you go to him. We institute the marriage. If the woman has a problem, you go to him. You, both of you must first look vertically before you can look horizontally. If you don't pull this together in your institution, what I'm saying now is, you can still be engaged and still be very lonely. You can still be married and still be very unhappy. But for this thing to be out of your marriage, you want to look unto him who institute what? Marriage. He has the answer to any problem in marriage. If you want to be happy, you're going to be Christ-like. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Hallelujah. I have to say something here. Ultimately, you raise up the four in your vows. Marriage is made for procreation. You must first find the reason why you are engaged. You must first find the reason why God instituted the marriage. You must first find the reason why you are doing what you are doing now. Like I said, eliminate loneliness. Eliminate happiness. Eliminate anything you call fun. Eliminate that. You've had people say, I don't want to get married. They are single parents. Why? Because there is something in it that they can engage in. There is something in it that they can cope with. That's what I'm trying to say That You see people get into marriage in less than three months or whatever, the marriage is going sour. Have you seen that before? Why? Because the third party in the marriage is not brought in. Most often we think it has to be with our relations. No, 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 no. Because they cancel that your relation they give to you may not actually fulfill the mind of God. So let me say one or two things here, then we'll go. So number one, if you go back to Genesis, the Bible says, God made my letter be fruitful. So basically, God's intention is what? Procreation. Hallelujah. It's procreation that they be able to multiply. Now, your multiplication is not just the seed you bring in. You are multiplying the life and the nature of God on the face of the earth. Is that okay? That is the basic thing. You're multiplying the life of God on the face of the earth. Righteousness must prevail through your coming together. Wherever you find yourself, wherever you're going to live in. Your life should be a message to whoever will watch you as couples. Are you there with me? Right. But to me, there is something much more important on the human level. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. If you look at verse 9 to 12, the Bible says, 
two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. Or if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he fell it, when he falleth, for he had not another to help him up. And if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. To me, this is the basis of marriage. Your ideas must pull together. And the Bible says, take for instance, the scripture says, one can put a thousand to flight, and two can put ten thousand to flight. So the primary thing I see that God intended us to have in marriage is strength and power, unity of purpose. Did you understand that? Unity of purpose. And when both of you are united, you can do anything. You can achieve anything. Galatia, I mean, Genesis chapter 11, the Bible says, there is nothing that is impossible with these people. God speaking to those buildings, the Tower of Babel. He said, because they are in one mind. So if two of you truly can agree as touching anything, the Bible says, it shall be done for you in heaven. Is that okay? So the primary thing you need to understand is God is pulling both of you together so that you may have more strength, more power to achieve the things you want to achieve in life. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? This you must put at the back of your mind. And that is why I'm going to read one more scripture. And also I will make one or two comments to both parents that are here. If you look at the book of Ephesians, Chapter number 5. Very simple. The Bible says, Wives, I'm reading from verse 22, Ephesians chapter 5. This is what the author of marriage said. This is what the author of marriage said, We should uphold. In other words, the ability to maintain what we are engaged in today is found in these simple verses. Wives, understand and support your husband. I'm reading from the message translation. Listen closely. Take this as a watchword as you come together. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that shows your support for Christ. Support your husband. Wives, it's an announcement. Anybody who cares to hear, she'll hear what I'm saying. Wives, support your husband. Hallelujah. In ways that you show support for Christ. If you think you have been supporting Christ before, the Bible is saying as from this moment, support your husband just the way you've been supporting Christ. Hallelujah. The Bible says the husband provides leadership. Listen very closely. To his wife, the way Christ chooses to do, I mean, does this to his church. The husband provides leadership. The church does not dictate to Christ. Does the church dictate to Christ? You need to understand. And that is a serious responsibility on your part. Even as time goes on, when children begin to come in, you should provide leadership. That's what the Bible says. Are you still there? 
The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. That's the balance. She's not a tool to be stepped upon. But you provide the leadership. That's what the Bible says. Are you sitting there with me? You see, this is one thing that's a little bit strange. Or people say, I've heard women say this and said, the head man is the head, we are the neck. Now, but, but there's something very unfortunate about that. Because you say, well, if the head does not turn, the neck, I mean, the neck does not turn, the head doesn't turn. But they forgot that the information for the neck to turn comes from the head. The neck cannot decide. It is the head that it decides. How can you turn your head when your head... Listen, it, it's practically impossible. If you want to turn at all, it is what you've thought up in your mind that enables you to turn. So when women say, we are the neck, you are the head, we turn you, you're making a big mistake. There must be a connection, there must be an agreement for the head to agree to do what? To turn. Otherwise, that's why sometimes you sleep on your pillow with the neck somewhere along the line. You wake up in the morning, you have neck pain. Because the head didn't move the way it's supposed to move. There was no thought. There was no thinking. Are you still there with me? You provide the leadership, but there must be an agreement. It's not by domineering. Is that all right? Praise the living God. So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husband. The word submit actually means to be brought under. To come to the place. In fact, basically the summary of the word submit is orderliness. Orderliness. Now let me explain what I mean. When God talks about orderliness, he means it. Because where there is no orderliness, there is chaos. Often in the natural, people say there, are, there can't be two captains in a ship. Is that okay? Right. It will produce what? Disorderliness. So the point of submission has to do with what? Orderliness. First Corinthians 11, the Bible says, God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of the man. The man is the head of the woman. Order. That is what submission means. It simply means recognizing your place as a wife to the man you are married to. Is that okay? That's what submission means. Now, I believe if we truly, and I'm going to read a scripture on that for you, and then we'll let me just run that because the time is not there. Verse 20, 25 says, Husband, go on out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by genuine, but by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. Notice that. Christ's love makes the church whole. You should do the same thing to her. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling wild sick, radiant with holiness. And that is how husband ought to love their wives. They are really doing themselves a favor since they are already one in marriage. The more you try to love her, the more you love yourself. Because listen to me, there was a funny story I read recently. It's funny. Somebody went with the wife to a kind of uh, honeymoon or whatever, I mean, 
just holidaying in Israel. And uh, the wife died after about two days. So the undertakers came and said, if you want us to bury your wife here, it's going to cost you $500. No, $150. But if we have to fly this woman to your home country, it will cost you $500. No, about $5,000 US dollars. That will cost you to fly the cops. But if we bury her here, just $150, we can do that for you. The man said, uh, give me some moment to think. And for a while, he came by and said, I want her to be flown back home. And the people said, what do you mean? It's by far cheaper that we have this woman buried here. You want to fly about your country? 5000 or the other dollar? He said, yes, that is what I want. They asked, why do you choose that? He said, you know what? At home, this woman will be very troublesome. We have no peace. And now we are here in Israel and he died and she died. And in this place, I have been told that one man died some time ago. After three days, the man rose again. So if we bury this woman here, this woman may rise again. Let's take this woman home. Hallelujah. You see, it's the same thing the scripture says. It is better to live in a house and on the rooftop than to live in a house that is full of trouble or with a troublesome woman. That's why I said in the beginning, marriage does not necessarily guarantee peace except you bring in God. Do you understand that? So you see the cause the man wanted to bear just to make sure there's no resurrection for that woman. Because to him, if he pays very less, he's paying for trouble. Praise the Lord. Okay, so that's the point. Now, I'll read again. No one abuses his own body. Does he? The answer says no. He feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us. The church, since we are part of his body, and this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherish his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how much husband is to treat his wife. Loving himself and loving her. And how each wife is to honor her husband. The word honor is very precise. You see, when, when he loves you, he loves himself. When you honor him, you honor yourself. Hallelujah. This is the point I want you to note. And the Bible says, the man and the woman leave the husband, I mean the parents, and cleave. And this is why I want to appeal to the parents. Please, as much as possible, minimize I don't know if I will use the word limit. Your interventions in this marriage that have just taken place now. Don't nose in too much. If they come to you, fine. But you must allow them to build their life. They are just about starting another generation entirely. I must give them the room, the ample room to do that. Parents, I'm talking to you. Especially my dad. And the moms. Leave these people alone to live their lives. Let Christ decide for them. As long as you can choose to live like Christ. Let me say something very briefly on this one. The point is this. Don't you ever make the mistake to say, I want to change my husband. You can't change a man. Only God can change a man. Do you understand? Don't make that mistake. The best you can do is to go to God 
who gave the man to you. Pray the best you can. Seek his face. If there is, you feel there's a habit the man must leave, seek his face. You don't have the ability to change a man. It's a big mistake that women can make. You know why? Because it is natural that God had built in something called ego in a man. He didn't just pick it, he built it. That's why you find that even a small boy like this can choose to go and marry a woman that's very tall because to him he feels he's a man. It's natural. It's the ego that God had built in a man. You can't take it away. It makes the man to resist. That is why even your opinions must come in such a level that he will see it as an idea you are selling. Don't make it look like you are making him he has to take that idea because you are the woman or because you think you can, like I said before, control the head. Are you still there with me? And so parents, I strongly want to appeal to you. Leave your children alone to live the life that God has given to them. Pray for them behind the scene. If they have an issue and they come to you, find the right counsel. Very unfortunate too. A lot of people go to marriage counselors, they go to psychologists, they go to all classes of people in the world to find solutions to their problem. But the person that institutes marriage is not a psychologist. The man that institutes marriage is still alive, he's not dead. And he has a manual. Go back to the manual, seek his face, and there will be an answer and a solution to whatever problem you are going to find. But I believe by the special grace of God, there shall be no problem with you. In the name of Jesus Christ.